All right, let's get rolling. So today, today's going to be a little bit different, but we're still on the same topic. And, and you know, we're going to start with 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And when we've been talking about this, we've been talking about the concept that we have, that, and then one that we didn't come up with. But that when you're a born-again believer, you are no longer the same. And there are two rules of engagement that we have to identify. The first rule of engagement is, number one, that a born-again believer is a changed person. Not changed like, oh, you've cleaned up, but changed as you're transformed. You went from dead things to living things, from old things to new things. We didn't just put, you know, put a little polish on or clean up the old mess. You're completely different. Transformed, never again the same. The other rule of the engagement is the fact that while you may be right with God, what you see, how you act, what you think, what you say is influenced by something that you don't even see. You have to understand something. We live in a spiritual world. This is hard to put into words because the reality that we have is we don't believe in the spiritual stuff. To the degree that we should. It's not that we don't believe it necessarily in the fact that it, like, it doesn't exist. It's the fact that we don't believe that we're influenced by it. And we take for granted that we live in a spiritual world. We have physical bodies. We operate physically. But realistically, the way we respond, the way we behave, the words we say, the things we do, should have a spiritual side at the forefront. I mean, today is an example. Why, does pe- why do people go to church? Is it out of habit? Is it because somebody said you had to? Is it because you think you'll be closer to God? I hope none of those things are the reason. It's, it's no different than if the reason you read your Bible is because you feel like you have to. Your motives are impure. Those are physical things that we do, but do they have a spiritual side to it? Of course they do. Do they have ramifications? Do you know this, that every decision you make has an ultimate ramification? It's a cause and effect, good and bad. That donut tastes good today, but buying bigger pants isn't fun. I mean, that's the thing we don't think about, but everything that we think, everything we do, has an ultimate end that is going to take place, whether you like it or not. I mean, most people in this room whether they're here today or not, but that would, would attend regularly, believe in the rapture that is going to happen. And most people would say that the timing of the rapture will be prior to the tribulation beginning. There are basically three rules. It's either before the tribulation, right in the middle of the tribulation, or after it's over, we're kind of beat up, but we get out of here. And whatever your belief is, that's fine. Make sure it's studied and you just weren't handed this and you believe it. I've only met one person in my life that ever came to the realization that, that the rapture is not literal, that they believe it's just allegory. Um, I'm forgetting the term that it goes with. Ah, millennial. There is no millennial reign. It's that it's just allegorical. You know, he owes the cattle on a thousand hills, and a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years. It's just metaphors is all it is. The only person I've ever met that claims to have come to that conclusion through the study of Scripture. Every other person that I have met that has come to that conclusion because they grew up in a Catholic church or a Methodist church or something like that, and that was what they were taught. But I met one. But regardless of where you stand in all of this, your beliefs on it will not dictate what actually happens. Make sense? In other words, if you do not believe in gravity, it does not defy the law of gravity. You don't get around it just because you don't believe in it. Fair enough. The rapture... It will take place according to Scripture. It will take place at the timing according to Scripture. Whatever that is, your belief on it is irrelevant. You guys following me? I want to make sure you get this because we have to be spiritually minded. In Romans 8, it says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life in peace. The carnal mind is in enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. And guess what? It can't be. So, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And I'm going to encourage you to go and read past this, because it goes on and on and on, talking about other things. But here's the point, is 
we need to begin to think differently. In our country, when you get sick, what's the first thing you do? Go to the doctor. Immediately. No questions asked. Why is that? It's convenient. You get a headache, what do you do? You pop a Tylenol. Like, these are things that we do because they are readily available. It's what we've been ingrained to do our entire lives. We don't think anything differently. You go to other parts of the world where getting to a doctor is either A, unaffordable, which it is here too, or it's not even an option because you couldn't get to them. I mean, like, there are parts of the world where modern medicine really is non-existent. And their only hope is that God heals. So what do they believe? That God heals. Now, I've been asked this before. Is One of the questions I get asked all the time is that you see stories of these missionaries around the world, and you hear talk about miracles that take place. I have a friend of mine. He's a pastor in Canada. I feel sorry for him right now. But he's a pastor in Canada. I think he was in Indonesia. I don't remember where he was. Indonesia, may have been the Philippines. He's been around a lot. And he was praying for a lady who was blind, and he literally watched a pupil form in her eye. It was all white. He watched it be formed. Now, if I read that on the internet, you can write anything you want. But this is a friend of mine. This is somebody who, guess what? He didn't write a book. He's not selling the rights to anything. I have no reason to doubt him. And the thing was, is here, if you're deaf, what can you do? There are things that they can do to make that better. But in other parts of the world, there isn't. And so their only hope is in God, and God can respond to that kind of faith. You see, they're spiritually minded, where we are carnally minded. Do not misunderstand me. I'm not saying doctors are bad or medicine is bad. Don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is our reaction is the things that are carnal before we ever get to the spiritual. Now, that's just in in one instance, but we do this in every instance. When something tragic happens in our life, immediate, we turn carnal. When when the economy goes down, let's just say that the economy crashed or the, the farm prices just drop and everything, what do we do? We go into panic mode, right? I'm not talking about not being frugal or being smart. I'm saying we start to panic. Well, why do we panic? The last time I checked, according to Scripture, that He is our source. Does that mean that you're driving a new car every year? Not necessarily, but He is our source. Should we panic? No, but we can't help ourselves because we are carnally minded. When tragedy strikes, we are carnally minded. This is how we are. This isn't just a moral and immoral Uh, a question or metric it is way beyond that and that's the thing that we have to get we have to have a realization that the spiritual world is more real than the world that we see scientists today are starting to come to some realization that there are you talk about like the three senses the sight and the sound and all that stuff there there are elements out there they say there are 10 degrees of physics i'm using these terms wrong but i'm just throwing them out there and only four of these things are knowable Which makes me wonder, well, how'd you come up with 10? Like, you guys ever, let me show you a trick here. You guys are going to like this. Okay, I'm going to juggle right now. Okay, I'm juggling invisible balls. You ever seen anybody juggle invisible balls? No. Because they'd be visible if you'd seen them. See how that works? Now, this is something that can work. I'll never forget this. We got to go down to the CMA thing a few years ago, and this was hysterical. They brought in a ventriloquist. Okay. Now, have you ever seen a ventriloquist? You haven't? Some of you have? Okay. Do you realize that the dummy that's talking is not alive? Now, you would know that, right? How do you know that? You ever seen the movie Chucky? Yeah, well, don't go watch it. But, I mean, so you would think it's like, okay, they're having a conversation back and forth, which means they're either doing it to be funny or they have a psychological problem. So we're sitting there watching, enjoying. He was funny. It was a comedian. He's talking to the, the puppet. And the puppet whispered something. It was a number. He asked him what his favorite number. I don't remember. And he whispered. He's like, 12. And the guy's like, what did you say? He's like, 12. He's like, I'm sorry. I can't hear you. You have to speak up. And a lady in the crowd yelled out, he said 12. <laughs> and he just stops dead in his tracks. And we all start laughing. And he's like, thank you so much for coming tonight. What do you say to that? 
But something in that moment took over. She responded in a different way, I guess. You see, the reason I'm, I'm talking about this is we have to understand something. Is that what we experience in the moment physically is not necessarily the reality of what truth is. Because you are sick does not mean that God doesn't heal. Because somebody died does not mean that it was God's will to take a 12-year-old child. We have to go back to what Scripture says and live there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being uh, absent and bold towards you. And I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So here's the thing. It says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal because we walk in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. It should say we walk in the flesh and we should not war according to the flesh because here's the problem. The church today, it does. The church today reacts the same way to the world around us that the world around us reacts to the world around us. How's that for linguistics? You impressed? I mean, that's the thing. We have the same response. We respond in fear. We respond um, with, with anger. I mean, how many of y'all remember 9-11? How many of you guys were teed off on 9-11? I was ready to join the military. They'd have begged me not to, but I was ready. Because we were all hurt. How could this happen? Is that the proper way to respond? Not necessarily. Because we didn't look at the spiritual side. You see, in everyday life, we are carnally minded. To be carnally minded is to make an excuse. And let me give you one. I hear this all the time. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Is that a true statement? Absolutely. 100% true statement. Because your church attendance has nothing to do with Christianity. That's not the question to ask. The question to ask is, is there a reason that I should attend a service? To be in service? To be unified with the body? And the answer is, of course, there is. Scripture says it, as well as a myriad of other things. You see, carnal mind versus spiritual mind. Carnal mind looks for everything that we can do without crossing over the line that we call sin. The spiritual mind looks for everything it can do to get away from sin, to just stay as far away from it as humanly possible. That's why there's so much debate in the church. But who's in charge of that? Have you noticed that the morals in our country have changed drastically? Am I alone? I don't think I am. Changed drastically. Since the time that I was a child, which wasn't that long ago, to the time that I was in high school, I remember seeing these different things that were going on, to the point that we are today, where it is basically a free-for-all, it's not just that, quote-unquote, morality has changed. It is the embracing and accepting of immoral things that has become the norm. Do you guys realize that young people today... In the church, these are people that grew, either grew up in the church, they would call themselves born again, see nothing wrong with a couple living together before marriage. And we all know what happens. They can say whatever they want, okay? They think that's the norm. Why do they think that? Because society has told them that this is the norm. And now, what's the term that we always get thrown around? Don't be legalistic. We don't even know what that means. Because the Bible doesn't tell us to be legalistic. It tells us to be holy. And there is a difference. And holy means to be set apart. The nation of Israel was to be holy, to be set apart, to be completely different, not like any other nation. Because when the other nations saw what God was doing for them and they see the difference, it would stand out to them. And that's the same mandate on the church today. And yet, what do we try to do? We try to be as much like the world as we can, to draw a crowd, to get their attention, to be like them, to not offend. It is because we're not spiritually minded. The spiritual world around us, we are not aware of it, to the, to the degree that we completely ignore. Ephesians 6 verse 11 says to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the methods at which he is attacked. Now let me share with you today, and this is where we're going to go, and this is not going to be very long, but I want to share with you guys some things that are going on, some things that are in this world. These are church people. As you guys know that the Bible is under attack, has been for a long time. Do you guys realize that they just outlawed, I think it's Romans 1, 
First Corinthians 5, don't quote me on that, one, one of the Corinthians verses, I can't remember what it was now. It is now illegal in Canada to use those verses. Illegal. You guys remember that pastor that got arrested a while back because he refused to close his church down? He got arrested again yesterday. They pulled him out of his car and arrested him once again. In Canada, who do they think they are? They're not that great. Their national anthems, oh, Canada. They're not that great. But yet, they're telling you what you have to believe, what is allowed to be spoken of. Why are they doing that? It's because they're legislating morality. Now, you'll hear this term thrown around that we can't legislate morality. That's an untrue statement because all morality is legislated. The thing is, is which side of the aisle are you going to be on? I don't mean Democrat and Republican. So they made that illegal. Why did they do that? Because it doesn't fit the narrative. This pastor in particular is being spiritually minded. He refuses to bow his knee to the society, to the culture, to the government, to anybody of what they're saying they must do. He refuses. And what are the consequences of that? So far, it's been jail time. You read your history books, the church history, and you will see this happen time and time and time again. And for some reason, we seem to think that we are immune to that. And the reason is, is because we have a carnal mind in the church. You see, we don't want to get uncomfortable. I may have told you this, but I, I, you know, I've been in ministry for 20 years, and, and especially even here, I've had several people that have told me that they want to come and try out our church. And I always tell them, I said, hey, there are no tryouts. I mean, it's, it's all good. You know, you don't have to, like, jump through hoops or anything like that. There's no tryouts. And, they just, and this is the response I always get. I'm looking for a place that will make me feel comfortable. Now, what's the appropriate response to that? <laughs> exactly right. If you didn't hear him, he said, don't come here. See, that's the thing. I told people that. I said, I'm sorry. We're probably not for you. Because I don't want you to feel comfortable. Some of these people are living very carnal lifestyles. They're not even born again Christians. I mean, they just, they're looking for something to make them feel special. But it's like, this place is not a place that any of us should feel comfortable. Any of us should. Now, don't misunderstand me. We're not here to browbeat people. But we should be faced with our shortcomings, our sins, the reality of the world around us each and every week. Not only from the pulpit, but together. Do you realize that one of the reasons that we come together is iron sharpens iron? Which means that when we see people getting off, we should immediately respond biblically and say something to them? Do you guys realize that Matthew 18 is talking about church discipline? Do you realize that Matthew 18 is not practiced anymore? Because in Matthew 18 it says that you should, if you have a brother who has offended you, you should immediately go to them and seek for their repentance. And give them the opportunity. And if they don't repent, then you move it up the food chain. Go read Matthew 18. You'll see it. And what do we do now? When we're offended, we make sure everybody else knows what they did to us. Or we'll immediately go to the pastor or an elder or something like that. And again, I'm not talking about here. I'm just talking in general. And we'll immediately go and do this because why? We want to make sure everybody knows that we've been hurt. Why do we do that? Because we're not thinking biblically. We're thinking carnally. You see, the way we respond is really a, a reflection of what we believe. Just is. So if you believe that God heals today and you hear of somebody sick and you don't go pray for them, that means you don't believe that God heals today. You don't believe that in you is the power to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I know what Mark 16 says, but that must not be what it means. You know why we don't do that often? It's because we don't really believe it. We think, well, we have to have a special anointing, a gifting, or something along those lines. And therefore, I've never seen it work, and I don't want to do it. I don't want to be embarrassed. That's really what it comes down to. It means your ego's on the line. And because of that, we don't react in kind. Jim, have you laid hands on people before for healing? Absolutely, he has. Jim, have you seen people been healed? Absolutely. Have you seen people not been healed? Yeah, me too. Do you guys realize this? Okay. I know I talked about the 110% last year, or last week, last year. It was last year. That worked out well. <laughs> that is a mathematic impossibility to give 110%. I had this debate with my wife at the house before last Sunday, just so you know. But do you realize that your 
win rate, so to speak, on getting people healed is greatly increased by actually praying for people to get healed. Because if you don't pray for anybody, guess what? Nobody gets healed. It's the same thing. If you believe that as a born-again believer that you are on mandate by God to go and preach the gospel to all nations, and that starts right here at home, that I don't have to jump on a plane or in a boat or go somewhere, but I can start here. And it is my job to know God and make Him known. And everywhere I go, I am salt, I am light, I'm a city on a hill. People see me, people know where I stand. And that's that. I'm going to share the gospel every day, every opportunity that I get. If you believe that, what will you do? You will share the gospel every single day. But if you don't, what does that mean? Well, that's for other people. That's for somebody else. That's not for me. You see, the way you respond is truly what you believe. You will begin to recognize how carnally minded you are based on the mandates that Scripture get and how you act upon them. We've got to get this. We have to understand this. You see, we have a spiritual world around us. And people are dying daily without an understanding of who God is. They have a belief in God, but they don't have a relationship with God. And I want to read you guys something. This was actually sent to me by a friend of mine. He happens to live in Branson, but it's somebody I know, and he, was, he uh, is aware of the ministry that we have done through the years, and we've stayed in touch, and we're not super close or anything like this. But he sent me something that was from a former student of mine. And I want to tell you this, um, because this is what happens. Now, it's, it's no secret, that, and I've made this known before. I was in youth ministry for a long time, and I have a lot of regrets in the way that we operated our youth ministry. And while carnally speaking we were killing it our youth ministry was about double the size of the church we had people coming in all the time um we were getting i personally was getting like messages and phone calls from people like what are you doing how are you doing and all the and i'm going through all of these things and i really thought we were killing it i really did and uh this was over in auburn i mean we had Tons of kids. In fact, we even brought a group of kids over here one time. For when Pastor Craig was here, you remember this? He did a, uh, a lock-in. We had to take like five vehicles to get all the kids over for a lock-in. We just had so many kids that were coming. And I'm like, man, God is moving. This is awesome. You know how many of those students are currently walking with the Lord? Neither do I. But it's a small handful, if it's even a handful. And I look back at what I did, and in fact, it was after we left, and I watched it all fall apart, and where we went, and the methodology that church embraced was one that I truly believed in, until I watched it happen. And I watched people walk out the back door quicker than they were coming in the front door. And I watched a bunch of what we would call carnal Christians. I have no doubt these people are born again. But the carnality that they live was just mind-blowing. I couldn't understand it. It's like, man, why do you, why do you live like that? Why do you act like that? I just couldn't get, wrap my head around it, and it dawned on me, you know, this is the Lord growing me, is that the methods that the churches embrace today have nothing to do with Scripture. What the methods we embrace today is crowd formation, how to draw people in. And I was good at it, really was. We'd put on big events, we'd have tons of people. People come from all over to go to these events that we were putting on, doing these different things, um, you know, as an example, I, I put on an event at the church that we were at, and uh, like five minutes before the event's supposed to start, we're having to set up more chairs. We didn't pay one dime of marketing. We didn't advertise or nothing like that. It was an illusion. It's a friend of mine. And we went around, and we were just doing stuff and throwing it up on Facebook. He's doing close-up magic, all this kind of stuff. We blew the doors off the place. I mean, we were setting up chairs. We had people standing. There were so many people that showed up. And at the end of it, we gave a gospel presentation. Heads went down. Hands went up. You know how many of those people came to church the next Sunday? Almost none. Small percentage. You know how many came the Sunday after? Even less. It began to dawn on me. It's like, what am I doing? That's where the Lord began to show me some of the stuff, the carnal methodologies that we, we have embraced in the, in the church today. That's why I've completely changed philosophies on how we do things. And it's not always pretty, and it's not always flashy, and it's, it's sometimes a grind, and that doesn't go over in today's culture very well, because we're always looking to draw a crowd. 
And what I want to see is people's lives transformed, truly transformed. Because I realize that most ministry, I say most, that's probably too, I'm broad brushing, but understand me here, is that it is about the ego of the guy in charge than it is truly doing the work of God. And I was guilty of that. Didn't even know it, but I was guilty of it too. And so I began to transform what we're doing, and it's like, man, if I could only go back in time and change, which can't, but if only I could, man, I would. And it's like, what is the byproduct of that type of ministry? Well, let me read this to you. This got sent to me. This young lady was basically, she was one of my youth leaders. This girl loved the Lord. I mean, loved the Lord. She was all in. There wasn't anything that we were doing. She did not grow up. She grew up in a single-parent home. Her mom did not have a good upbringing at all. Um, a lot of bad things that took place. Let's just put it that way. Uh, she, somewhere in there in the early teens, gave her life to Christ and just went all in. She was, there wasn't anything we were doing that she wasn't a part of. She was winning her friends, getting them to come to church, getting them to come to our youth group. All of this, I mean, just, it was incredible. And I just really believed, I'm like, man, this girl's got a gift. She really did. She got a gift. She got a calling in her life. There's no question in my mind. Just seeing the way that she acted and stuff like that. Sometimes you can see it. When I say a calling, again, it's, it's the ability that God has graced us with to minister to people. It's unique. We're all called into ministry. But some of us are called to a different positioning. It's not better. It's just different. And this girl had this ability because she had this influence on people. Uh, it was very effective. It was interesting to watch. And so after we left, I watched things begin to change. She went to a Christian college. Christian in name only. College is no longer existing today, thank God. But she went there and began to hear all sorts of things. Now, you would think you send your child to a Christian college, you're in good shape, right? No. Because she began to adopt all these new beliefs. And every once in a while, she would call me and she started saying stuff, and I'm like, that's not right. She's like, well, yeah, but my professor said. And he's got his doctorate in XYZ. I'm like, but that's not right. And it began to dawn on me. Here's somebody who was my right hand. I mean, she was, she was very involved. She was ill-equipped. Given the circumstances at home, mom did not attend church and had no interest in doing so. It was my responsibility to equip her. But I never did it, apparently. Thought I was, but I wasn't. And so I watched her as she goes down this... Uh, Bad hole. A couple years later, she comes out as bisexual. And God loves us the way he made us. Okay? All sorts of issues, mental health issues, all this kind of stuff that she was constantly, she was bragging about essentially on social media, you know, looking for attention and stuff like that. I mean, this girl has issues. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But a lot of this was self-inflicted. And so... She kind of cut me out of her life, cut, cut all of us out of her life and for that. And I haven't really seen or heard anything about her in a very long time. And then I get sent this just this last week. Let me read this to you. After my posts in the last year and a half, I'm sure it comes as no surprise that I do, in fact, practice witchcraft. Since becoming agnostic after Aggie crossed over the bridge, Aggie was her dog or therapy dog, or something like that, apparently died. I still needed to believe that something had more power than I did, and I settled on the universe. Since then, my craft has changed countless times. It has become more intimate than I thought it would ever be. My craft weaves itself through every moment of my life, and it has given me hope, joy, and peace, believing that the universe has no feelings towards me, and that its energy is underlying everything. Nature feels different. Silence feels different. Grief and happiness even feel different. Everything in my spirit has changed. Therefore, my energy has become very important to me. Because my energy is more important now, I have started the practice of veiling. Until today, I don't even think I realize how massively important it has been to me. Today, I was told I needed to take off my veil. My anxiety was met with kindness and compassion, which was so appreciated. And my spirit thanked me when I put it back on. I guess I'm really just so grateful to the universe for its pull on me. And I'm so grateful to myself for finally facing the fear of leaving Christianity and organized religion to pursue this. Y'all just know that this peace is found where it's found and that doesn't look the same for everyone. We are different from one another. 
Now, obviously this doesn't please me. But what's interesting here is the road that led to this moment. You guys have heard me talk about this. These ideas that come. Ideas have consequences, good and bad. We live in a spiritual world. How does the enemy attack? Comes through the mind. Is it overnight? Does he show up and just say, hey, I'm the devil, why don't you hang out with me? No, it's little ideas. And I watched this transpire with somebody that I thought I had prepared. Because if you'd have asked me, rewind 10 plus years ago, who was going to make it, she was one of them. And I watched bad idea after bad idea after bad idea just hit. And she'd change her belief and then change her belief again. And as you can see, she recently changed her belief. Now, what made her change her belief about God? She said that she went, became agnostic. What caused that? The death of a dog. Now, let me ask you something. Does truth change because of your circumstances? It does not. You see, God is real or he isn't. There is no in-between. Agnostic means I'm not sure. Okay? Atheists imply that there is no God, which means they are all-knowing, because you have to have all knowledge to claim that there is no God. So truth be told, everybody would be classified agnostic. I didn't lose anybody with that, right? I'm, okay. But she became that way as a result of the death of her dog. Now that seems crazy. Anybody have a dog die? Anybody thankful that the dog finally died? Stan, have you ever had a death of a dog happen? You should ask Stan these stories sometime. We don't want to put him on camera or on the spot, but they're fantastic stories. You see, circumstances in her life happened that went contrary to her belief system. And what was her belief system? That if God is real, my dog will live forever? I don't know exactly but as a result of that, she changed her beliefs because a good God could not let my poor dog die. Now that seems crazy, but where else do we imply this? We give us a mom, dad, grandma, junior, our kid, whatever. Her belief system changed, but it didn't happen overnight. It was a series of events. What happened? He came with that rock, and he threw, and he threw, and a crack formed. And he got in a little bit. This didn't happen overnight. We're talking 10 plus years in the making to come to this point. What would it take to bring her back? I don't know. It's the Holy Spirit's job. I have no relationship with this young lady anymore. Um, hopefully I'll cross her path again someday. I don't know. But here's the thing. This is what I'm saying. The spiritual world is real. We have to deal with these things. And, and, and one of the things that I'd ask, and I was going to have Jim ready to, I want you guys to hear his testimony. But we're going to hold off a little bit. Because to hear what he's gone through personally, but what he's also experienced as a minister, is very powerful when you understand the spiritual world. And that's why I want, I want an opportunity for everybody to hear it, because I don't want to chance his Facebook Live and all that other kind of stuff. It's crucial. So we're going to hold off on that. He's going to be gone next Sunday. He's going to Florida. Poor guy. It's rough. Somebody's got to live that life, though. So in a couple of weeks, we'll have him come up and share. So I'm going to hold off on that today. But I want to share with you guys a little bit of the spiritual world that's out there. Do you guys realize that demonism is real? When we think of demons, what, I mean, the first thing that crosses our mind is what? If you've ever seen The Exorcist, that's what it is. Anybody ever seen The Exorcist? Again, don't go watch it. It's the only movie in my ever, life, and I used to watch tons of horror movies growing up. It's the only one that ever freaked me out. Do you know why it freaked me out? It was a lot more believable about a demon possessing a young girl and wreaking all sorts of havoc than some gorgeous blonde that no matter which way she ran, she found the bad guy that was going to kill her. Those weren't believable to me. Because it's like nobody's this stupid for sure. I'm probably wrong on that, but I believed that. But this one was different. Because again, I grew up in the church. I used to be fascinated with demonism. Fascinated with it as a young man. I was fascinated with the ideas of ESP. You guys know what that is? Extrasensory procession. It's that sixth sense where I can read your mind. I was fascinated by guys who could bend spoons with their mind. I was fascinated with aliens. I was fascinated with all of this stuff. 
as a young man. I'm talking like grade school, junior high. I would go to the library and check out books on all of this kind of stuff. All the time. Very fascinated with it. I, I remember trying to get my youth pastor to teach on demonic symbolism and stuff like that because I'd researched it. I mean, whatever research a young man does, you know, whatever. It's different. Now we Google. That didn't exist back then. And he just looked at me. He's like, yeah, I don't think we're going to be doing that. But it was fascinating to me. Do you know what I believed in? I believed in ESP. I believed in the ability to bend a spoon with one's mind. I believed in aliens. You know why I believed it? Because I read books. I was growing up in the church. Now that should concern somebody, including parents. But my parents didn't know any better. Like they didn't think anything was that big of a deal. I mean, they're just happy I was reading. Which was fair. But I began to just like really get into this stuff. And the backward masking that was in music. And some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Where they play the record backwards. I mean, I was all obsessed with this stuff. And it took me uh, down this journey where I began to play this card game called Magic. You guys ever heard of that? I think it's M-A-G-I-K. I can't remember. It's a card game. Very fascinating. It was just fun. And again, I'm, I'm young. And so I would buy these cards and I would, I would begin to play these games. And all my friends were getting into it and all, of, all that kind of stuff. We didn't think anything of it. Just good times. Playing cards. Um, one day... I don't remember what it was. I was reading something. Again, I'm, I'm fascinated by demonism. I was reading this, this old book, something demonic. I don't remember what it was, okay? Spiritual world, something like that. And they would talk about these beings that would cross over um, to give you information. Or it would be like people who could, were a medium. Again, I believed in this. They were a medium, and they could speak to them. They said, but sometimes it's not a family member we speak to. Sometimes there's a, a being, and we'll get their name or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was. But whatever the name that was given in that book happened to be the name of one of the characters that was on the card. And I'm like, oh, I know that name. I went and looked, and I saw I'm like, sure enough, I had that card. I had all the cards. I was really good at this game. And I was like, wait a minute. They're talking about seeing something on the other side talking to them. Here it is in this card game. I started, the dots started to connect for me. Now, I am not the brightest crane in the box, okay? But even then, I'm like, that's interesting. And it just began to deal with me on this thing that I am into. Not only that, but the things I'm researching. Because my research, I'm using that term loosely, was unguided. I was out there on my own doing this on my own, finding this stuff out, and started putting these pieces together. Now, while this is happening, this is the time of revival in the church in America, around the world, really. This is the time during the Toronto Blessing, the time during the uh, Brownsville Revival. There's a lot of stuff that is going on. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And what was happening, I was melding these two worlds together, okay? They're both spiritual, and I thought both had value. I thought ESP was probably a gift from God, things like that. And so, I don't remember exactly what took place, but all of a sudden, I woke up one day, and this heavy conviction on me, I needed to get rid of this stuff. And so I did two things. I took all of these cards, and I burned them in our wood-burning stove. I got rid of them. Then I had another idea. I had these little gems. There were these glass rock-looking things. And they were the scoring pieces. And that's how you kept scoring the game and stuff like that. I needed to get rid of those. I didn't know how to destroy them, so I decided to flush them down the toilet. That wasn't the best idea. It took a while. They made it through, but it took a while. I will not deny that I had to stick my hand into the toilet and scoop some of them out and let them go a little bit at a time. It was disgusting. But this conviction hits, Right? I've got to deal with this. Like, I realize that I am messing with something that seemed very innocent to me. My parents were allowing me to do it for whatever reason. I don't know what their thoughts on it were. And yet, here I am messing with something. And in my mind started to go back to other things that had transpired as I was growing up. I've told you guys some of the dreams that I had. Some of the things that happened where... A demon confronts me and says, why do you believe in God? And then I wake up. I've told you guys some of those stories. I remember another time I went to a sleepover and a guy had a Ouija board and we were messing with it. 
I didn't know what a Ouija board was. My mom did. The next day, she said, how'd it go? I said, I'm like, oh, yeah, we played with this Ouija board. She's like, you did? I said, yeah. And she's like, did anything happen? I said, not really. You probably shouldn't play with that anymore. She knew that one. And I remember watching these things transpire. Now, I'm going back to the research that I was doing. Here's the thing. I'm reading all of these books. I'm believing them as they're true. It's starting to lead me down this path slowly. I had no accountability that anybody was bringing me back in to say, should you really be doing this? I know this is what they're saying, but is it true? Now, years later, I find out how they bent the spoons with their mind. I found out how they faked all of this stuff. But at that point in time, I had no idea. I was just super fascinated with it. It's the same thing in the church. The reason we gather together is because we need one another. What I needed right then and there was somebody who would grab me and say, this is wrong, and here is why. Not just that it's wrong, but why it's wrong. And why we needed to pull me back away from this stuff, and why I shouldn't be messing with the stuff the way it is. It's okay to study on stuff, even things that we would consider dark. It's okay to study that, but I wasn't studying it was embracing it as a part of my life. I wanted ESP in the worst possible way. Primarily, at least at that point, it was just so I could just know the answers to my test at school and not have to study, all right? But nobody was there to pull me back in. But these thoughts just kept coming. You see, that's why I'm telling you this. I'm sharing with you something that happened in my life. Now, obviously, the end of the story is completely different. You've seen two different dichotomies in what has happened. One of which, the Holy Spirit got a hold of me in a moment. I woke up, day, I cannot describe, some of you may have experienced, this like, I have to destroy this stuff today. Not sell it, destroy it. Get rid of it, get it out of my life. Not only do I not need it, but I need to make sure nobody else gets their hands on it. That game still exists, apparently. There was something in that moment. But it took months, if not years, to get to that point. Fortunately, it was a time of revival where the Spirit of God was moving at a time that I had not seen before and have not seen since. But those days will come again. But for me, I needed somebody. And I had nobody. I could have gone down this path. And fortunately, I was smart. And I don't know what the answer is to allow the Holy Spirit to convict me and not justify my behavior. Because I'd had other people say, you really shouldn't mess with that game. I'm like, it's just a game. Sometimes it's just a movie. It's just a book. It's just a drink. It's not a big deal. Whatever the thing is, we, we continue to justify our behavior. From that moment on, I began to see things in the spiritual world that I hadn't noticed before. Again, I'm a young man that grew up in the church. You guys know how much Bible knowledge I had? Almost none. Even when I went off to Bible school, I had almost none. I grew up in the church. I knew the John 3.16s. I could tell you where Jesus wept at. But that was it. I had beliefs with no convictions, and so therefore, when contrary beliefs would come in, it'd be like, hmm, that's interesting. I'd have to at least understand it. And so, I began to see the spiritual world a little bit differently at that point, and I began to see things happen. And there was a friend of mine, and I didn't happen to be there this night, but this, this young man was epileptic, had had seizures. He was in an accident when he was uh, young. He climbed a street sign, fell off, hit his head, had seizures ever since on some pretty heavy medication. And uh, so I'm now, I'm going to say 18, 17, 18, somewhere in that range. I don't remember how old I was exactly, but somewhere in that range. And a friend of mine from church, he was a few years older than me, um, would have a Bible study at his apartment. And I would go. Um, go pretty frequently. That's very active in the church. Very, very active. Um, but I would start to pick up and start to discern some things, um, good and bad. I would start to, uh, I'll say, have visions, things like that. I would start to see things. The Lord was using me during that time of those revivals. The Lord was using me very powerfully. Um, I didn't even know what was happening half the time. But it was amazing to watch, like, I would pray for people and watch God just touch them. And this was happening everywhere. I mean, I was, I was not unique, but it was, like, it was unique to me because I'd never experienced that before. And I would start to discern stuff and start seeing stuff. And I became very aware of the spiritual world around us because I was dabbling in a spiritual world, but I didn't know what I was dabbling with. I was just 
doing stuff. And so I, here I am and, and, and whatnot, and I've kind of gotten back on track and got my life straightened out a little bit. And um, there were just things that were happening with individuals in my circle of influence. And I'm like, there's something not right there. And I didn't know what it was, and I didn't know how to describe it then. But there's always just things that it's like, man, there's an itch I can't scratch. And so anyway, going back to this guy uh, who had these seizures, so they're having Bible study. I couldn't make it that night because I had to work. And so um, they're having Bible study, and they're get, just about getting done. And the guy that was leading it was, he was getting ready to pray, and he was going to pray for people. And this young man just grabbed a pen. I don't have one here. And he just started clicking it. Now, sometimes if you've ever seen somebody have a seizure, Sometimes they'll fall on the floor, they'll shake. Sometimes they just got this blank stare on their face like you don't know what's happening. But he'd never seen this before. He just started clicking the pen. And that was abnormal. And uh, we looked at him and his name was Ben. He said, Ben, are you all right? And uh, Ben didn't respond. He's like, Ben, you doing okay? Just clicking his pen. He didn't respond. And all of a sudden he just turns and looks him straight in the eye. He puts the pen in his face. He says, I'm going to kill you. He's clicking the pen. I don't know if you can kill somebody with a pen, but... Now, again, I've seen people have seizures. You know what I've never had them say? I'm going to kill you during the seizure. Most of the time they can't talk. Now, the friend of mine, Lee, his name was Brian, was just blown away and didn't know exactly what to do in that moment. So he did the only thing he knew to do. He began to pray and began to rebuke. And Ben said, I'm going to kill you times. There's a group, probably 15 people around. One very big apartment. And kind of started to shake a little bit. All of a sudden, it just stopped. He got very quiet. And Ben, he, ben are you okay? He's like, I'm fine. Why? I had no idea that it had taken place. Now, I missed that night, unfortunately. But I remember thinking, I'm like, in the week before that, there was something, now I'm like, there's just something weird about this. Like this young man, this guy named Ben. He was a little bit older than I am too. And so it's like, here's a situation where the guy running the Bible did not know what to do with it because he'd not been trained. And we're dealing with something that we assumed was a physical ailment. But what if it was more than that? Again, I didn't really know what to do with it. I'm 17, 18 years old. Not exactly prepared to take the role of the exorcist, okay? But it opened all of our eyes that there is a spiritual world there that is real. Has anybody ever done street ministry? Ever gone out and just prayed for people or, or preached the gospel to people? Um, you'll, you, typically, we don't do it much in the States. You go to other parts of the world, it's very common practice. And then if you go and do missions work, you may do it with them. And you'll see all sorts of stuff. And, I mean, you can see anything on the Internet, okay? So don't believe everything. It's, oh, demon-possessed man confronts street preacher. That doesn't mean that that's real. Some of that stuff is staged. But some of it's real. And I have a friend of mine. He was out in Kearney, Nebraska, okay? And he was out there doing street ministry. His group, about five or six of them, and they were just out there preaching. It was cold, like 10, 15 degrees. This guy walks up to him with no shirt on and wearing shorts. Now, doesn't make any sense. And begin getting confrontational with them. Now, here's the thing. Was the guy probably strung out on drugs? I would say he probably was. No question in my mind. But if that is the case, you could explain away why he didn't feel the cold or didn't feel anything. What you can't explain away is what he said. Because what he said, and I'm going to paraphrase this. He came up and says, you guys have to stop right now and he said why he said because these people don't need to hear that something to that degree now a friend of mine immediately recognized what was going on and took authority over and that settled that but again it's the reality of the spiritual world these are extreme cases but most of them are very subtle and they're subtle in the fact that we don't recognize them 
Another friend of mine's pastor, I told you about the pastor in Canada, he was down there in New Orleans one time. He was with a group of people, he was leading, they do missions work down there in New Orleans, he was leading a group of people, and as they were walking up, there was a gal, she was a witch, and she uh, was practicing voodoo and all of that stuff. And as they began to walk up, she stood up and started screaming, there's the child of the king. They don't know who this lady is, and she doesn't know them. Why would she say that? They hadn't even said anything yet. It's because the spiritual world is real, real, very real. Now, these are extreme. Most of the time, it's very subtle. And the reason I'm telling you guys some of this stuff is we've got to open our eyes to the reality of the spiritual world around us. And you're going to hear more from Jim. Jim's stories are phenomenal. And, and, and he's going to share some scripture, I'm assuming, you're going to share. I'm, I don't want to put him on the spot too much and stuff. But I'm very excited for you guys to hear this because Jim's experience as, as a person, becoming a born-again believer and all of that, is, is a fascinating story in and of itself. But his experience as a minister and the things that he's seen, like we get taken aback with the sensationalization of these stories. When I talk about guys who say, I'm going to kill you and stuff like that, that's fascinating. What we miss is the subtleties of how we have been influenced as believers into what we believe. So I'm giving you more of the sensational initially, but we've got to get back to the basics of this. Because I said last week, and this is a great quote, is that the best thing that the enemy ever did was to make you think he doesn't exist. But he's all around us. The difference is, he has no authority in your life. But we give him a foothold because we don't want to deal with it. And the reason we don't want to deal with it is we're not thinking spiritually. We are thinking carnally. So I'm excited to where we're going because we have to be aware of this i got some other stuff that I want to share with you guys here in the next couple of weeks, some things that I think is coming up, some things that are in my heart. Um, and actually, I had a good friend of mine I was talking to last week, things that the Lord put on his heart, happened to match up exactly with what the Lord had been showing me. Because there's some things coming in this country and in this world. And if we think we've seen the worst of it, we're, we've not seen anything yet. We need to be prepared for that. And that's the reason the Lord shows people these things. Again, I don't ever claim to be a prophet, but from time to time, the Lord shows me very specific things. Um, and, and in this case, that's, that's what's going on. But, but it, we have to be cognizant of the spiritual world that is around us. And if we tend to ignore it, we're going to miss out on opportunities. And we're going to miss out on the cause. And if we can't deal with the cause, then we, can't, we only react to the re- reactions, basically. We react to what takes place, the effect of it. We've got to begin to think differently. So starting to think differently, you need to hear some of these stories. So we'll share them over the next couple of weeks. But let's pray, and we'll get out of here. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together. And we thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you that you're opening our eyes to the truth of the world around us. That too often we've been just kind of lulled to sleep by the enemy, but by, by our culture. And, and, and Lord, I thank you that our eyes are beginning to be open. And Lord, while we may have a very undisciplined church in our country today, Lord, I thank you that you're awakening those who are willing to put it all on the line for you, to live their life to the fullest for you, and to give everything to you. And we're not a group that's going to make excuses, but we are going to stand up and make your name known. So Lord, we give you all the glory and honor, and we thank you for all that you continue to do in our lives. Just thank you for everything. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, if you guys can stick around and help clean up the uh, Christmas stuff, we would greatly appreciate it.